Zechariah was one of the priests, one of thousands of priests. And every morning and every evening, sacrifice was made for the whole nation. Most of the priests would never have the privilege of turning a burning incense, but if the lot did fall on any priest, that day was the greatest day of his life, a day which a priest would long for and dream of. On this particular day, the lot fell on Zechariah, and he was most likely thrilled to the core of his being. The scripture told us while the temple while he was in the temple praying, he was visited by an angel and told that he and Elizabeth would have a child, a son, and that his name would be John. The angel said, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at this, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. It's difficult for us to understand those times so long ago but Jewish rabbis would have been excommunicated under seven conditions. First being a Jew who had no wife or a Jew who had a wife and had no child. Not having a child was also a valid reason for divorce. So you can imagine how excited Zachariah must have been to be first to have the privilege of being in the temple, and then to find out he and Elizabeth would have a baby boy. Zachariah's duty lasted a week. Can you imagine how difficult it was for him to have to wait a whole week before he could go home and tell Elizabeth? This was something that they had prayed for for many years. Elizabeth was probably both shocked and overwhelmed with joy. When Zachariah came home and told her this amazing news, Elizabeth knew that the child was a gift from God. Not only was she filled with joy because years of plea-filled prayers were answered, but also because the child would be great in the eyes of God. We know this child was John the Baptist as he grew older and was the forerunner of Jesus. It was a testimony to both Zachariah and Elizabeth to have kept on praying long after the normal childbearing years were over. And it's an example for us to be reminded that we should never give up expecting God to act in our lives. If you feel that something that you want for yourself or for someone else is what God wants, then you should never give up praying. You never know when you may be one prayer short of having your prayer answered. When we trust in God, knowing that he always knows what is our best, our joy will be complete. We who sit on this side of history I think understand the joy behind Mary's song. We know who Jesus is, what he has done, and the reason behind the joy of the season. But Mary, from the moment she heard from the angel, did not have this luxury of knowing what we know. Outside of the promises of the scriptures, she heard and trusted. Everything about what she had to experience from finding out that she would be the mother to Jesus, 
to that time when he was born must have been filled with difficult situations and awkward conversations, not to mention the regular trials and tribulations of having a baby. Just where does Mary get her joy from? How is she able to sing the song she does, knowing that there are so many unexplainable things to try to explain? One person in the Tuesday night Bible study asked a very interesting question this past week, one we can't really find the answer to, but it's worth thinking about. She asked, what about Mary's parents? Did you ever think about that? What did they have to say when she told them that she was pregnant? And tell them, by the way, I've not been with a man. The baby I carry is of the Holy Spirit. We don't get any information on the parents. But it just may be that they thought Mary was not only immoral, but also crazy. Talk about an awkward conversation. And how many times would she have to explain herself, her impossible situation, to those in her circle of friends and family? Nothing about her situation must have made any sense. Outside of Elizabeth, who would have believed her? There she was, young, engaged, pregnant, without any good answers, and probably receiving many more stares and quiet mumbling among the people around her than getting affirmation like she got from Elizabeth. So in the midst of this very difficult, incredibly difficult situation, why was Mary joyful? For a couple of reasons. First, her joy was not a product of her circumstances. In fact, she experiences joy in spite of her circumstances. Her negative situation in the eyes of anyone else save a few did not dictate how she felt or chose to respond to the blessing that God was to give her. Rather, Mary, in deep trust, believed what the angel and Elizabeth had said. And it is from this place of faithfulness that Mary expresses her joy. Second, Mary's joy is not some fleeting sense of happiness. It's a deep-seated pleasure in doing what the Lord is asking of her, regardless of the risks or difficulties that may lie ahead. It is part of who she is. It is evident that as young as she was, she had a mind and feelings of unusual strength. It was a powerful kind of joy. Where do you find your joy? Is your joy dependent upon your circumstances? Or like Mary, is it a joy? In Palestine, the birth of a boy was an occasion of great joy. When it was time for a baby to be born, friends and local musicians gathered nearby. And when the baby was born, if it were a boy, the musicians would break out into music and song. There was much rejoicing and congratulations. If the baby was a girl, 
the musicians went away in sadness. The birth of John to Zachariah and Elizabeth was a threefold joy. First of all, after years and years of waiting and praying, they finally had a baby. And second, the baby was a boy. And third, the angel had told Zechariah that the baby would be great in the eyes of the Lord. The angel also said he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and that he would prepare for the coming of the Lord. What a joy to know that he and Elizabeth would be raising this special child. There was a reason why the angel said they should name the child John. John's a shorter form of the name Johohanan, which means Yahweh's gift or God is gracious. That name describes Zacharias and Elizabeth's gratitude for this child and for this very unexpected joy. After the joyous event of John's birth, another miracle happened. We heard in verses 67 through 79 that Zacharias' song of praise to God. Up until this point, Zachariah had not said anything for nine months, but he made up for it in this wonderful song to God. How joyful he was as he held his newborn son in his arms and said, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. In these meditations today, we see a mix of fear and joy. Fear when the angels appeared, followed by the joy of their news. Life is often a mix of fear and joy, isn't it? After the initial fear, the words of the angels were, don't be afraid. Much later, before Jesus returned to heaven, he himself gave his disciples these words, peace be with you. Robin Gallagher Branch wrote, God in the silence of nine months has done preparatory work in Zechariah. God saved Zechariah from his own unbelief. Zechariah's prophecy looks forward. God moved on Zechariah and Elizabeth's behalf and linked their personal miracle of a son to wider miracles for Israel. Zechariah doesn't understand it. He doesn't have to. He rejoices and lets God manage the details. Zachariah would spend his remaining days a happy praiser mentoring this miraculous child. Like those in the Christmas story, we too can have our fear replaced by joy. Zachariah's song makes clear that true peace and joy in our hearts and in our world will come only when we are right with God. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. But who knew that? It's a rather unremarkable story, especially as Luke tells it in these first seven verses of chapter two. Babies are born all the time. 
Luke tells it as a matter of fact story, a condensed time frame in which Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem as required by the government, stay for a little while, and have a baby. What is all the more unremarkable is the way the baby came. In fact, it was so unspecial that Jesus is born in an animal shed because they couldn't find another place more suitable. Just another day, just another baby. So what's with all the joy? In each of these reflections this morning, Pastor Nancy and I are endeavoring to show how the characters of the first Christmas experience joy in relation to the birth of Christ and the events that surround it. In this reading of the story, which we'll hear again on Christmas Eve, there is no particular character to identify who has some sort of epiphany about the magnitude or meaning or joy of Christ's coming. Yet this account we know is the very center of everything. Jesus is born, Emmanuel has come. Certainly those who were part of the story knew the joy that was on the way or the joy that had arrived, but what about the rest of the world? To the rest of the world, it was simply the birth of another child. But this is how God chose to come into the world. Could it be that for the rest of us, including you and me, those that were not there nor part of the story, that the joy of Christ's birth is not something we find within ourselves, but rather something to receive as a gift. Perhaps it's something for us to discover for ourselves. And then having discovered the joy of Jesus' birth, then we may sing all the louder joy to the world because we know what that gift means to all who would put their faith in him. Those of us who recognize Jesus as the promised Savior and Redeemer of the world are filled with joy. Accepting the fact of God becoming a man and living among us brings us joy. That he had come to rescue, to save, to heal, and to make humankind right with God brings us joy. That Jesus would rise from the dead and conquer death is cause for great joy. That he will indeed bring joy to the world when he comes again brings us joy now. It all starts with the greatest gift ever given, the joy of Jesus' birth. One of the first things that we need to remember is that the shepherds were at the bottom of the social ladder. The shock and terror of the angel's visit would surely have been followed by, by us. They were dirty and smelly, not as clean as in the picture, the way we picture them. And I would imagine that they were filled with lots of questions as they traveled to see the Savior who had just been born. Isn't it interesting that God so often uses the most unlikely people to be used by him? The Son of God was born in a barn with smelly animals and now was about to be visited by some of the lowliest men 
in the area. Commentator William Barclay shares that the Orthodox good people of the day despised the shepherds for several reasons. He goes on to say, however, that these shepherds were probably very special shepherds. Every morning and evening in the temple, an unblemished lamb was offered as a sacrifice to God. Shepherds were in charge of providing the temple authorities with these perfect offerings. These flocks were pastured near Bethlehem. Barclay said it's a lovely thought that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mixed in with the questions must have been much excitement and great joy. To be visited by angels, wow. To be invited to see Messiah the Lord, wow. It was night and they were most likely tired, but scripture tells us that they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And after seeing them, the shepherds told everyone what they had seen and heard. And that is what we should do as well, to tell others about Jesus. As they returned to their flocks, they were glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. And that is also what we should be doing. In the midst of our shopping, decorating, gift giving, um, and card sending, we should be sharing the good news of Christ, especially with those who do not understand the real reason why we celebrate this special season. We should also be glorifying and praising God and giving thanks that someone told us about Christ Someone cared enough about you and cared enough about me that they shared their faith with us. We have so much for which to be thankful. We have so much for which to be joyful. We have the love of Christ in our hearts. We have the promise of spending all of eternity with him. And there's no greater joy than that except for the day when we actually see God face to, face to face and bow down and worship him ourselves. I'd like to share the last four lines of a poem written by a man named George Cuff. The title of the poem is, is called Embrace the Joy of Christian Giving. Again, these are the last four lines. God can be trusted to meet all our need so don't be afraid to follow his lead. If you would find joy in Christian living, embrace the grace of Christian giving. You've probably heard it before, but I think he's on to something. He equates joy with giving. 